Exact Nature loves partnering with the Sobriety Diaries because we are both 100% committed to helping you reduce your dependency on drugs and alcohol. Founded by a father and son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, from addictive cravings to mood and focus, and my favorite, better sleep. Available in oils, soft gels, gummies, and topical creams, Exact Nature literally has you covered. As a supporter of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 at checkout to receive a 20% discount on your order. This offer is good throughout 2023 and shipping is free. Go to exactnature.com to learn more and to see the full line of products in advanced strengths, economy sizes, and at value prices. Again, use the code TSD20 and head over to exactnature.com to see why these products should be a part of your sober life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. I'm your host, Nate Kelly, a recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink, a recovery mentor and podcast producer. I am so grateful to be bringing you these powerful stories of recovery told by you, those who live them. Please share this podcast with anyone who may need it today. And with that, Let's open the diary on episode 100. Welcome, my friends, to episode 100 of the Sobriety Diaries. 99 episodes, 140 guests, 36 countries, over a half of a million downloads, all with one purpose sharing powerful stories of recovery to help those who may still be struggling. I cannot tell you the amount of gratitude filling my heart right now. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and any number of 99 other episodes. I wouldn't turn the microphone on without you. I am here for you. Thank you so much for being here. Today is so special. We are looking back at previous guests from the show in another Where Are They Now episode for episode 100. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Let's waste no time. We're kicking it off today with Charlie Gray. We talked to Charlie in episode 60. He is the author of At Least I'm Not the Frog, along with other books in the same series that he will touch on today. Let's check in with Charlie. Charlie Gray is back to chat. Hey, Charlie, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Nate? Doing great. Thanks for making time today. 
Yep. I was so stoked when I got your message on Instagram. I was like super flattered and honored and just, yeah, to hear from you. And I was like, well, this will be amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's a good kind of touch base and, and look back. You were with us all the way back in episode 60. Uh, and I know you've had a lot going on since then. I know you added another book to the series. So tell us about that. Yes. Well, the series is complete now. All three books are out. The second one called The Frog's Bottle, it came out in December of 22. And then the last one, The Frog No More, just came out in May of this year. So the trilogy is completed <laughs> and I am off and running, writing, you know, books that aren't quit lit now. But that that was a journey that was an amazing journey and i really understand now why there is this push in early recovery to journal right you know i was like i heard it for years but i never implemented it and as soon as i did i was like oh i get it i wish i would have got it earlier <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and how uh, powerful that is for you to have been able to realize this dream that probably would not have happened in, in active addiction. I'm pretty confident in saying that. What has that sort of realization been like for you? It was amazing. It gave me so much confidence. And, and when I really noticed it was after the first book had come out, you know, that writing that first book obviously changed my life. But it was in the publishing of the second and then working on the third that I was like, I'm excited for myself and I'm proud of myself. And I hadn't, I hadn't felt excited or proud for myself in such a long, long time that to live in that space was so new to me and was so rewarding. And it, it did, it came, I, I never could have gotten that had I stayed in active addiction. Mm -hmm. You're 100% correct. Yes, yes, I got that from writing the books. That's amazing to hear that sort of internal validation and love and pride for yourself that I think can take us a long way. So tell us about your recovery routine. Have you added any uh, new tactics or new things that help you stay sober or I guess to your daily sobriety focus? Yeah, so I just celebrated three years of sobriety on Yay. July 8th. Amazing. Yes. Congrats. It, thank you. Yes, and it was just like I, three years, three years, and it <laughs> flew by. But, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Right. And, of course, my sobriety routine three years from – I mean, three years ago, it looked much different when I was first getting sober. I mean, I was a newborn child. I didn't yeah. know how to do anything sober. Everything was brand new. Everything was amazing. Everything was shiny. And I loved that. I loved the first year of just going to movies and just doing simple things and, and doing it sober. But, you know, as time goes on, the newness, it, it wears off. And those daily things that that white knuckling it that oh my god, the dreams, you know, that all kind of falls away. And I was just talking to a friend of mine that I met online in sobriety, we've actually never met in person, which is 
just so amazing that this day and age we can yeah. do that with recovery. Your relationship, like I have so many relationships like that with people online. And I think it's it's really just magnificent and it's changed the whole face of recovery, but that's another topic. Anyways, to get back <laughs> to point, yes. So my sobriety routine as the years have gone on has got, it's not that I've really relaxed in it. It's just, I've had to focus on well, what do I need? You know, my daily needs are no longer, oh my God, are you going to drink? So so that I don't need things that kind of prop that up. What mm. I need is to be inspired and to be excited and to maintain that joy for experiencing life without any sort of altering substance. And so to do that, I think it's important to just keep keep tackling life, keep trying new things. I, I've been traveling so much more. I have been devoting myself to like, get out of your comfort zone, listen to music that maybe you wouldn't, read something that you wouldn't. So really each, maybe not each day, but <laughs> weekly, weekly or monthly, I try to do something new because I know that's probably gonna be the only thing that's going to sustain my sobriety is I've got to stay actively involved with life and enjoying life because as soon as I become complacent or bored, then that's where I'm gonna get in the danger zone. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah, once we get past that point where the focus is just not like, oh, what can I do not to don't drink? Don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you get to experience life and it makes it worth it. Like, this is why I committed to, to being a better version of myself and living a better life. And you get to start experiencing those life events, right? With a clear head. Do you find yourself now on the side of being a mentor to newer folks in sobriety as opposed to seeking out? you know, advice on, on the more early side of things? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. As I've, as I've gotten my sea legs about me and as I figured myself out and I figured my sobriety out, it, there has been a pivot to where I'm, I'm much more useful now as someone giving advice rather than asking. I, I don't have a whole lot of questions. I do love to talk to people that are around five to 10 years just to get an idea of what to expect but for the most part, it is a much more mentor type role. And it's, I mean, it's the dream, is it not? To have someone <laughs> yeah. read your book and then message you and, and have questions and, and thank you is like, I, I just, I never knew that that could happen. And I, every so day I'm grateful. Yeah. That's a great segue. Uh, what can we leave our listeners with or what advice would you give today that maybe was different when I asked you two years ago? I think the best advice I have to someone in early sobriety that whether or not they're struggling is, is to really find what's going to work for you. I feel like what I did in the beginning was, you know, I went to one program and that's that's all I would do. And maybe that program wasn't necessarily for me. So it took me a long time to get out of that, get into another one. That wasn't for me either. So I know in the beginning we're like, we're so desperate and we're so scared and we're so new, but you do have to have some sense of autonomy and 
and the gumption to say, okay, this isn't working for me and that's okay. I'm leaving this and I'm moving on to something else rather than just beating a dead horse. So, so to have more agency, your agency, don't lose your agency in early recovery because you're, you're so worried about getting help. You know, you're trying so hard to get help that you're willing to kind of just let other people tell you what to think and do in the beginning. Don't, don't let that happen. I was a victim to that. That's a great point. I think the community is very important, but in the end, it needs to come from within, right? Charlie Gray, I will link the information to the books and information on where to find you online. Such a pleasure, my friend. You're part of the Sobriety Diaries family. So good to see you again. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Have a good one. I am here with Jason Wood. Jason, we were just chatting. You were with us way back in episode 30. So I'm excited to chat and and get the update. How are you today, my friend? Yeah, I am doing fantastic. I am delighted to be back again. It's hard to believe that it was so long ago that we recorded that first uh, conversation, but it's one of them that I still go back to this very day. So I'm excited to uh, share some updates on what life has uh, brought my way since the first time we touched base. So excited. Yeah, one of the more popular episodes way back in season one. So Tell us kind of how life has been, what's changed, what stayed the same, and what does your recovery routine look like today? Yeah. So season one, it makes me feel like an OG. <laughs> you are an OG. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I, like, I like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, my surroundings have changed. I uh, relocated from Colorado to Michigan, so I am back closer to my Midwest roots. Uh, I think that's just life's funny way of uh, playing out for you that you eventually kind of return home. So uh, yeah, we've uh, traveled the country, but it's great to be in Michigan now, uh, living out in the country too. Uh, No, no more city life. So have about three and a half acres out here, and it's just it's beautiful. We've got that's awesome. You're my neighbor. I'm in Ohio, so you know when I hit the road, maybe I'll have to stop by and check out the land. Exactly, exactly. Come on by. We're going to have flowers and pumpkins and all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, yeah, absolutely. You're invited anytime. But uh, it has just it's felt it felt like the right time to move the right time to make that change, Uh, especially because it feels like I'm in a new chapter of my life. Uh, Recovery kind of feels like it's moving into a little bit more of a maintenance mode now, uh, where it felt like at first, every single day was just trying to claw my way out from Mm. the bottom. And now it's kind of like, okay, I can put the cruise control on Uh, every now and then I got to slam on the brakes or speed up a little bit. But uh, for the most part, uh, things seem to be uh, settling down there. And uh, I'm really getting to enjoy the process now. I think when we first talked, I talked about my mantra of trusting the process, embracing the process, and eventually enjoying the process. And that's what a lot of it is now. I spend a lot of my time speaking with students in uh, colleges and universities across the country. I've had the opportunity to speak at over 25 colleges uh, in 18 states. Amazing. Wow. Story. And uh, it's just, it's really cool because after every conversation, at least one or two of the students come up to me and then share their story with me. And that's my favorite part. That is when it just, it really hits home that there's so much power in storytelling and that it's a community out there. If we just get out there and embrace vulnerability, we can all connect with each other. And it, that's that's where the healing really starts. 
Oh, it's so true. Yes, I love how impactful storytelling can be, especially in sort of a vulnerable niche or, uh, you know, this arena that we share a bit of ourselves. I think it invites others to open up as well. And one of the things that I love most about podcasting, that is great to hear. I love that you're able to share so much publicly and that, you know, it sounds like you're making an impact. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. And I say all the time that when I'm out there talking, I'm not just hoping to make an impact on others, they're making an impact on me. It really is a two way street of healing. Every time I have that opportunity to share my story or hear somebody else's story, I heal a little bit more myself. So uh, it's really become part of my recovery. Folks will ask me all the time, when am I ready to share my story? When do I know that I've healed enough to share my story? And I say, if you're asking that question, you're ready. You don't, you can still be in the midst of recovery and start sharing your story because it's never too early to start getting all of that out. Because the more that you share, the more healing that's going to happen inside too. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know that your recovery was coupled with a complicated relationship with food. And I'd like to touch on that as well. Does that sort of play into this? Uh, maintenance side of things too? And, and have you sort of graduated to a, another level of healing with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the two seem to be working in tandem. So uh, when I started my recovery, it was initially for my eating disorder. It was uh, not when it came to the alcohol abuse. It was actually more so healing that relationship with food. And then I like to say that my sobriety was an unintended benefit of eating disorder recovery because the two were just, they were playing off of each other. All those same things that were fueling my relationship with food were also fueling that relationship with alcohol the insecurity, the anxiety, um, the need for control, all, all of those different things. So uh, I sit here today and it seems like as I heal from one, the other kind of just tags along too. So that relationship with food <laughs> is definitely healing. Uh, but it's one of those things where there are challenges and bumps along the way. Uh, just recently, I've had uh, a higher volume, I guess you could say, of the body dysmorphia kind of chirping in my ear and telling me, hey, your body's not good enough and all of that. Mm. But I have the tools now to fight back. I can, I can sit in that moment. I can sit in that emotion. I can dispel the myths that my eating disorder likes to tell me. So uh, it's one of those things where I think it's a, it's a lifelong journey when, when you're going through the recovery process is that there's always going to be those little bumps along the way, but you can use those bumps to grow. And uh, that's what I've been doing when it comes to that relationship with food and with alcohol. Well, Jason, I know we did this before, but perhaps an updated version. If we have listeners who are perhaps still struggling today, what are some words of motivation or a part of your experience that you can share with them uh, to kind of put one foot in front of the other and, and perhaps start on that journey today? Yeah. So the first thing uh, that I've already touched upon is my mantra was trust the process, embrace the process, and eventually enjoy the process. And we've talked a lot about enjoying the process, but we can't overlook the trusting and the embracing. And that's how it was at the very beginning for me. 
my therapist would recommend things to me or my nutritionist when it came to my relationship with food would say, oh, do X, Y, and Z. And I would sit there and just shake my head. To me, there was no way any of this stuff was going to work. I wasn't going to be fixed like this. And uh, it was one of those things where I had to trust them. I had to blindly trust the process. And that's how I got through the beginning of my journey was just trusting what other people would say to me, trusting uh, what the process was itself when it comes to recovery, trusting that there were going to be ups and downs along the way. Uh, I learned very early on that it's okay to fall, that it's okay to fail, it's okay to relapse, because you can use that as an opportunity for growth. There's no such thing as an obstacle on the road to recovery. It's just an opportunity. It's just another opportunity for you to grow and to learn some more. So uh, through that, I think one of the first key components when it comes to recovery is gaining that self-compassion. I had to allow myself to still love myself, even if things weren't going exactly how I wanted them to in my recovery. Even if I was going through a tough time, I had to sit there and at least accept myself. Maybe I couldn't love myself that day, but I had to be able to mm. accept myself. I think another thing that really causes that's a barrier for a lot of people when it comes to recovery is they don't feel like they're worth it. And they don't feel like they're strong enough for it. And that's exactly where I was too. I didn't think I was sick enough. I would look at other people. I would compare my situation to other people's lives or situations and say, I'm not sick enough. I, I don't have a problem. I don't need help. I don't need recovery. And then there was this other side of me that was really scared to death of recovery. I didn't think I was strong enough for it. I didn't think I had what it took to to survive, to make it through to the other side. It's and such a question question mark, right? When, when you're like leaping, it's literally like stepping off a cliff and there's this huge question mark. But I think to touch back on your mantra, you just got to trust it. Yeah. You just got to trust it. And I, I can't explain where that trust comes from yeah. sometimes, but it's there and you just got to lean into it. And I think to me that those are the, the important things that I needed to realize early on in my journey that I would pass along to anybody else who might be at the start of their journey or even just contemplating it at this point. Uh, there's always going to be those question marks, but you are worth it and you are a lot stronger than you'll ever realize. So true. Thank you so much. Well said. Jason, I will link your information in today's show notes if people feel motivated or inspired to reach out to you today. Thank you so much for continued support and agreeing to share updates today. You're part of the, the TSD family, so uh, we appreciate your vulnerability and coming back uh, to share with our audience. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. Well, thank you. Happy Sober Day, friends. For additional episodes of The Sobriety Diaries or to apply to be a guest on the show, check us out on the web at thesobrietydiaries.com or for our video interviews, head over to youtube.com slash natekelly. And don't forget to rate and review our show on whatever platform you're listening on. It truly helps others to find the show. And in turn, we really could help save lives with just a few clicks. Thanks so much for downloading today's episode. And now back to our story. So we are back here for episode 100. What it, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but I'm welcoming back a few of our most popular or most asked about guests from the Sobriety Diaries. And I'm here with Cap Nair. Cap, welcome back. 
thank you for being part of the uh, Sobriety Diaries family and agreeing to come back and give us sort of some updates. How are you, my friend? Yeah, thank you so much for being, uh, for offering for me to come back. And I'm honored to be the 100th episode. That's amazing. Um, massive congratulations on all the success for the show. Thank you. Uh, I'm just honored to be here. Uh, things have been pretty hectic and chaotic, <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. Yes. Um, very intimidating, honestly, uh, to be on this side of things. Um, since we last spoke um, at that juncture, I think I was involved in a PhD program. I'm still involved in that program still writing, um, book is still in progress. Um, and there's supposedly a documentary that's supposed to be coming out around this topic. Um, and they're interviewing a number of other individuals that had similar experiences, uh, just to talk about kind of like the manipulation, um, the money-minded fraud that's kind of happening, and um, kind of the recurrent motif of profits over people. Um, so that's somehow becoming a, a major theme across this country. Um, I've also been involved in conversations with folks across the pond in the UK um, and in Europe and, and even an individual in China uh, that was saying that um, kind of the same blueprint that we see here as far as uh, commercial backed insurance policies manipulating people and like the whole profit driven care model uh, it's kind of metastasizing over there as well. So people are getting away from, you know, government funded, like the the fear provoking socialized medicine. They're stepping away from that and getting into commercial backed um, insurance. So it's it's kind of like a, a plague almost, if you will, mm. um, that's happening in other parts of the world. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been involved with. Very yeah, I, I was hoping that there would be different updates, but it sounds like it's uh, unfortunately multiplying. Um, the The focus really of our first conversation was, you know, the corrupt practices within drug treatment centers and, you know, to, to the point that you just made this sort of um, uh, monopolizing and recruiting individuals who are in need, in severe need of actual drug treatment and turning it into this sort of recruiting and uh, money generating business as opposed to actually treating people who who need the help and you are sort of focused on the social justice and bringing awareness and reform to these practices. Um, so as a licensed counselor, and, uh, you know, mindfulness, you have a mindfulness focus and, um, you know, you are doing things for the right reason. How oh, it has to be just maddening to you. And I mean, how do you sleep at night knowing that they're not you? How do you sleep at night? Because you're on the right side of things, but knowing that all this is going on and, you know, you're sort of one person that's trying to um you know shine a spotlight on it for the right reasons um it's got to be tough it's hard um you said it best i mean i don't sleep uh, just knowing that all of this is happening um it's uh david and goliath in the most true forms and it's really unfortunate because the nonprofits that are out there currently that are trying to do the right thing simply can't function at this point because what i've found is it, it becomes a whack-a-mole situation i think i made mention of this in the first episode as well it's like if you don't pay to play almost um you're faced with bankruptcy um so the nonprofits that were truly genuinely doing 
effectiveness for the altruistic reason, providing efficacious care and hiring people that really were doing this for the right reasons are simply not able to make ends meet because um, the marketing tactics of these for-profit agencies are just so, they have such backed funds. I mean, most private equity are backing most of these non uh, for-profits rather. And um, you see two things happening at the same time. You see nonprofits participating, meaning they're starting to do the same antics as like the, the for-profit just to survive. Um, and then the opposite is also happening where they just have to declare bankruptcy. So as far as maddening is concerned, absolutely. Um, how one person can change it, not one person can. Um, and, you know, in this journey of, of not to make something bigger out of it, of something that's like just my story essentially, but like throughout this journey, it's almost as if there's like this underground railroad, if you will, like borrowing from Harry Tubman and everyone of of true altruistic people that are actually doing this for the right reasons and then are trying to shine light on this topic matter um and in doing so if that gets publicized in the wrong type of way we then become ostracized and become the black sheep if you will um and so i've experienced that firsthand i've had a number of interviews with like prestigious universities that then googled me and then decided not to pursue wow you know, uh, for fear of whatever, um, financial, I don't know. Well, there's this whole cancel culture thing. And if you're, uh, you know, associated with, or bring someone on your team that, you know, it, it's, it's, um, unfortunately I think, uh, is behind a lot of decision-making nowadays, this, this sort of cancel culture idea. 100%. And time and time again, I've talked to so many different people. Um, that have whistleblown on larger organizations that are in the same exact boat, like uh, facing bankruptcy, currently still in court, um, and literally don't know what the next move should be uh, outside of just leaving the industry altogether. Um, and so there's a lot of us out there that are just, you know, trying to make things work. Are there still great facilities that are not for profit that we can send our loved ones to? And how do we differentiate between the two? Absolutely. Um, there's definitely still really good people out there running organizations. I don't want it to be, you know, <laughs> I'm not here to spread like negative Nancy news, essentially. Sure. Um, there's a large amount of really great facilities out there. I would say trust in, um, so I'm one that, is very biased against insurance, but if you are a member of a specific insurer, definitely call the provider line, ask for specific recommendations that are in network, and then research them. Reach out to professionals that are in your area that have been in the field for a long period of time, ask them for their opinion of their specific facilities, of the facilities that are in network, for example. Uh, if they have higher recommendations uh, in your area, definitely use them. Um, I personally have conducted a number of consultations where I pretty much does done case management and found a really great facility for folks. Um, they're out there. You just have to do the legwork and ask the questions. So definitely run by, you know, what's what uh, outside of just asking the owners and operators specific questions, go on Google, do, do specific searches, try and figure out who is backing that specific facility. If you see private equity backing a specific facility that's cardinally a red flag uh, more often than not that's how that's what i've seen is that uh, it's typically they're not playing the game appropriately 
Um, there are a number of nonprofits that are state run that are still phenomenal. Um, when you do get conversations with owners, operators, CEO, CFO, ask if you can speak to clinicians there, ask what their census is like, ask, um, you know, majority of what insurers are, are coming in, where those insurances are being backed from is an appropriate question as well. Um, and then if you see a number of a la carte options that have little to nothing to do with um, treatment or therapy, uh, just be mindful. Um, that's typically a gimmick. Um, we see that often with facilities in like Florida, for example, and Southern California that offer a host of medley options that have nothing to do with anything really. Such as, no what's an example of that? Like a um, current option. Ooh. <laughs> that's a <laughs> tough, tough question. Um, so I have seen like spa services yes. in Southern California being offered. I think spa-like is a, a great way to explain it. And also, I think, and I've seen some almost where it makes your stay feel resort-like as opposed to getting treatment. If you see a number of a la carte options, definitely ask follow-up questions of like, where is the evidence behind the specific modality? If insurance is not covering that specific modality, that's pretty much indicative that there's no evidence behind it. Um, but definitely feel free to do your own Google search and, 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 you know, justify if that's actually a need and if you'll benefit from it. Great. Kapil, your, your work, uh, does not go unnoticed. So, you know, from myself and, uh, you know, this side of things and, and my listeners, I'm sure, uh, thank you for, uh, continuing the fight, even though, you know, it, it may be the marathon and not the sprint so thank you for that yeah i appreciate it i'm honored to be able to be the person to to do what i can um and every little bit counts so if this inspires you in some sort of way please stand up speak up do something um because yeah great point so if people are inspired to join your fight or reach out what's the best way to do that Definitely. I'm not really advertising anything right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, kind of, um, I'm a little bit traumatized in full honesty um, by a little bit of the repercussion and the slack and everything like that. But there's a number of resources that are out there. Definitely. Um, what's more important than joining me would be to pay it forward. So reach out to your local Congress people, reach out to your local legislative branch, um, petition, uh, get as many people as you possibly can uh, to sign whatever document you wish to submit um, and push for a change for your local um, congressional folk. Um, and I think if we make enough noise, they're well aware that this is happening. Um, but I think it just means it's power in numbers, let alone like an organizational thing. Um, so I think if we all just inundate them with our concern, I think that would be more meaningful and more powerful. Kapil Nair, thank you so much. Keep fighting, my friend. Uh, let's keep in touch. I would love to, uh, you know, stay abreast of any developments. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we can have you back on the show when there's national reform and, you know, positive change. And uh, I will be behind you each step of the way. So thank you for, for coming back and, and sharing again uh, with us this uh you know, unfortunate uh, sort of uh, monopolizing, you know, of, of people within our community that we truly want to help 
and I think this will help uh, to start chip away at, to start to chip away at that. So, Kapil Nair, enjoy your day, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you so, so much for having me again. Thanks, Kat. Thanks so much for listening today, friend. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in today's episode and how to connect with our guests. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, everyone.